Okay. Let's read our passage for today. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Now while, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Becca, would you do me a favor and close those doors back there? Thank you. 
Well, we've been in the study of John's Gospel. It's been wonderful. We have been learning so much. Now, last week we left off with Jesus in Jerusalem at Passover time. Remember that? He's in Jerusalem at Passover, John's Gospel. It's like a signal. This is something really, really important. This is a big deal. He goes to the temple and he performs uh, like a great demonstrative, demonstrative act. He uh, makes a whip and he drives the animal market and the money changers out from where they were in the court of the Gentiles. And in this act, in this demonstration, we saw Jesus acting uh, in his God-ordained, spirit-anointed offices. We saw him acting as a prophet. We saw him acting, uh, he's declaring a message with his actions. We saw him acting as Israel's priest. He's protecting the holy place. And we saw him acting as Israel's king, expressing zeal for God's house, and for God's mission, and God's people. He was confronting the outward uh, what is the word? hypocritical uh, self-righteous thing that had crept in to the people of God's practice of faith at that time. He was confronting their self-righteousness. And in that demonstration, he rattled some people out of their religious stupor. And we know that because the little paragraph that connects that passage with the, this passage that we just read, the one, the nighttime meeting with Nicodemus the Pharisee, there's a little paragraph that connects these two stories. And it's at the beginning of what you have written in your worship guide. It's chapter 2, verse 23. It says this, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. So many people saw what he was doing in the temple. And they believed. The Bible says, in his name, it's a Hebrew way of saying, in his person. They believed in Jesus. And then it says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Then it says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. <clears throat> like us, many of us, like these Jerusalem dwellers, many of us might remember a time when Jesus first got our attention, and we believed. When we first recognized Jesus for something more than just a figure of history, when we first experienced him as the prophet, the great word of God, when we first experienced him as the, the priest of God, the way to have fellowship with God, when we first experienced him as the king, the glorious one who deserves our worship, many of us remember those times or that time when we first believed. For many of us, we read a book that just woke us up. Maybe a friend shared with us about Christ. Or I think maybe looking around, many of us here, it happened after just years and years of build-up and growing up in church. Maybe one Sunday or one afternoon. 
years of sermons and songs and liturgy and Sunday school and everything else just and we believe. Chances are if you're like me and you grew up in the culture of American evangelicalism uh, shortly after this experience when you believed you or maybe during this experience you uh, walked an aisle you prayed a prayer, you signed a card, or you got baptized, you begin to tell people that you have become a Christian. And you know, one of the great contributions of the evangelical branch of global historic Christianity is the emphasis on personal belief. We call it salvation by faith alone, or sola fide. A good thing. Do you want to know God? Do you want to be forgiven your sins? Do you want to experience fellowship with Him? Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to be freed from your bondage? Just believe. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only, His only begotten Son, that whoever believes, or if you learned it like I did, that whosoever believes, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Our passage for today contains this John 3.16. We, we, I say John 3.16 up here all the time, sometimes during the assurance of party, sometimes during sermons. It's probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, only begotten Son, if whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, if you're going to learn one Bible verse, that's the one to learn. It's an extraordinary uh, passage. It's a summary of God's plan of salvation. It really touches on the whole story of everything that we do and claim as Christians. What do the Christians believe? Well, we believe that God loves the world. He loves the world in a particular way, into a great magnitude of love. He loves the world by sending his Son, so that whoever believes, whosoever believes, won't perish, but will have everlasting life. So, here's what I'm setting up here. Here's what I'm getting at. This John 3.16 verse um, John 3.16 promise in our own stories we remember the day, many of us not all of us, but many of us remember a day or a time when we first believed and that's when we became Christians that's our before and after moment that's when we became saved it's pretty awkward and it's pretty strange but all of that comes after this transitional paragraph between this temple clearing story and here. We get this little thing. Jesus was in Jerusalem at Passover. Many people saw the signs and believed in his name. And then this. John 3.16 is like the greatest verse in the Bible. This might be the scariest verse in the Bible. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. 
He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. I memorized John 3.16 when I was a little kid in church. I didn't memorize that verse. Nobody told me about it. I had to read it for myself in my Bible. It's part of the John 3.16 story. Here's what I want to draw out today. On one verse here, and in so many of our understandings of what it means to be a Christian, the thing that separates Christians from non-Christians, the thing that separates eternal life salvation from, non, from eternal perishing, is having belief. At least it seems that way. But on the other hand, just a little bit over, we see people believing in Jesus. They saw the signs. They saw what he was doing. They heard the gospel. And Jesus goes, mm, no, not today. Because Jesus did not entrust himself to them. He knew what was in them. What did Jesus see in these people? Well, John's already told us that people love darkness more than light. Maybe he saw darkness in them. What we do know is that people believed in Jesus. They had a belief experience. They signed the card. They walked the aisle. They went to the front. They did the thing. And Jesus did not reciprocate. So apparently one of these guys goes to Jesus by night. And then Jesus says, eternal life is for everyone who believes. And God has sent his son so that whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. What is going on here? We need to figure this out. What do we do with this? Um, <clears throat> this whole thing kind of reminds me of another passage in the Bible. Uh, it comes in the, sermon on the, on the, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Maybe you've heard this story. Uh, as Jesus is teaching and he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many people will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Or in your name perform many miracles. In other words, Lord, Lord, did not do the will of your Father in heaven. <laughs> and Jesus says, But I'll tell them plainly, plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Also reminds me of the passage we read earlier, where Paul's talking about ancient Israel. He's writing in his letter to Corinth. He says, All of these people were delivered from Egypt. All of these people followed the cloud, which was the Holy Spirit. All of these people drank from the rock, which was Christ. All of these people ate the bread from heaven. All of these people. Yet God killed a bunch of them. They didn't all make it. So here's the question. And I hope and I think, well, I, I believe, that this question is not new. I think many of us privately struggle with this. Here's the question. In our tradition, in American Christianity, 
And in our Bible, we have this idea, this model of the thing that stands between you and eternal salvation is an experience of having believed. Yeah. Right over in, on the page, next page, where we see those kinds of things in our Bible. The main place, John 3.16. And in other places in Scripture, coming from Jesus himself and the Apostle Paul, not to mention we can find it over and over again. We seem to read something else. That having an experience where you believe isn't enough. In fact, you can have a I believe experience and Jesus can still look at you and say, no, not today. I don't know you, you're not one of mine, and I'm not hanging out with you. Or you can have an experience of, I did the thing, I participated in the sacraments, I, I did the belief. And you could still not make it to Canaan. And you could still end up in perishing. How does that work? What does that mean? How are we supposed to reconcile John 3.16 Christianity, whosoever believes, with John 2.23-24 Christianity? Some people believe in Jesus said no. W.T. What are we supposed to do? So maybe we can wrap all that up with just this. What does it take? What does it really take? Forget our traditions, forget our experiences, let's just clear the slate. What does it take for someone to be saved? Let's ask that. I think some of us might be asking that already. Well, I think asking that question is good and it's appropriate for this time because that's exactly what our man Nicodemus is doing in this story. He comes to Jesus and that's his question. What's it going to take? It's clear that he was one of these people. Uh, he makes that known. He starts out with, he's like, look, Rabbi, uh, we know, first of all, he's, he's not a dummy. Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel, says he's a Pharisee. Remember, those aren't just bad guys in Scripture. They, they were actually uh, well-intended, churched, educated, very pious people who cared about God, cared about the things of God. They wanted to see the Scriptures and form the world around them. And he says that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. This guy is smart. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know that you came from God, and we know that God is with you. That's obvious. That's pretty significant that the Gospel writer includes that because remember in the prologue that we studied for like 10 weeks, kind of the big idea is that Jesus is the one who comes from God and Jesus is the one who is with God. So John the Gospel writer is showing that Nicodemus is affirming these basic tenets of Christology. That Jesus comes from God and that God is with him. So Nicodemus comes and he's like, look, I believe, but, and it's, it's almost like Nicodemus wants to ask, I see that you're not coming, you're not accepting us and my group, so what's it going to take? But he doesn't even get those words out of his mouth before. Jesus just sees that question in his heart, and Jesus just speaks right to it. Jesus, 
It's like he's interrupting. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom unless they're born again. And Nicodemus, it's easy for me to, to imagine myself in his shoes because sometimes I get this. In conversations, maybe you've noticed, if somebody answers before I'm ready, I get confused very easily. I'm a slow conversation person. <laughs> and Jesus here is quick. Look, somebody, look, somebody's got to be born again, and Nicodemus is going, I don't get it. How can someone go back into their mother's womb? I don't get it. And Jesus is, he just jumps back in. No one can enter the kingdom unless they're born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at this, Nicodemus. The wind blows where it pleases. No one knows where it's going, where it comes from. That's the way it is with the spirit, Nicodemus. How can this be? Jesus, I don't get it. I don't understand. Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher. Come on, man. And he keeps teaching. That's what's going on here. Nicodemus is struggling with this. He's pushing in. And it's like Jesus is not giving him a straight answer at first. Jesus kind of sticks in the abstract until um, around verse 12, Jesus gets straight to the point. He says this, I've spoken to you about earthly things, and you do not believe. Hmm. Interesting. I thought Nicodemus was one of the ones that believed, expressed belief. He said the right stuff that showed that he had believed. Okay. Jesus says, look, I'm telling you about other things. You don't believe. How will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world, or this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Right here, Jesus is getting straight to the point with Nicodemus. Now, as a side note, there's a lot we can study here. We will continue in this passage next week focusing on the born-again people. But for now, let's focus on Jesus' answer to Nicodemus's question. Jesus' answer to our question. Is having an experience of belief enough or not? And Jesus says, look, you don't believe me right now. I'm trying to tell you Just like that story about the people who were dying in Israel because God was killing them off even though they were participating, how Moses lifted up the snake and they had to look to it. Just like that, everyone who believes will have eternal life. And that's God's love for the world. He sent me to come into the world so that everyone who believes... You see what Jesus is saying? It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard because we're reading this in English. 
It's fair, but it's very nuanced. I'm not going to wave Greek words at you, but we need to talk about the actual grammar of the actual Greek text here. Because if we were Greek readers, we would read this and go, but in English, it's so nuanced, it's hard to see. Here's what's happening. That scary verse at the end of chapter 2, people saw the signs and they believed in his name. That word, believe, it's presented in the Greek. It's a verb. It's presented in what's called the aorist tense. Sometimes we translate that into past tense in English because we don't have aorist in English. Aorist tense is, uh, it happened at a point in time somewhere out there. That's what aorist tense is. That's scary verse. Some people believed that Jesus would not entrust himself to them. What it's saying is, some people, somewhere in there, somewhere in, in, in their heart, in that experience, somewhere in there, they had this moment of belief. They had an I believed experience. But it was a point in time. Okay? That's what that says. Now, Nicodemus is talking with Jesus. Jesus is going on. Jesus says to Nicodemus, I'm trying to speak to you about heavenly things, but you don't even believe earthly things. In that moment, Jesus is using present tense. Present, active, indicative. Jesus is saying, you don't believe right now. So here we have people who believed somewhere at one point, they had a moment of belief, but he is not believing right now. The belief is gone. It came and it went. And then Jesus says, paraphrasing, here's the answer to your question, Nicodemus. You want to go to heaven? Just like the Son of Man came from and is going back to heaven, you want to have eternal life, you want to experience God's salvation? You're going to look to the Son of Man who is lifted up because everyone who believes has eternal life in him. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Those verbs, the John 3, 15, and 16 verbs, are given in the present active participle. Now, do you know what a participle is? Participle is a verb that we use like a noun. In English, usually, not always clearly in the text, we do it by adding an ing at the end. Believing. Believing is a verb that we use like a noun. Present, happening right now. Active, it's something that the person is actively doing. Indicative, it is what is. Participle. It's an action that describes can describe who they are. They are the believing ones. Jesus is saying, look, Nicodemus, it doesn't matter that you believed one time. Clearly, you don't believe now. Because all of this, this kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, salvation stuff, it's not for people who once had an experience of believed. It's for people who are believing. It's for believing ones. It's for believers. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you see the difference? 
And do you see why this is so very, very important? Many of us, especially if you grew up in uh, church culture, or even our church is a part of. The conversion moment is held up as the ultimate before and after. Or not even the conversion moment. That's not even what we're talking about. The person's personal understanding and experience of what they think of that moment. The moment when the person says, yeah, I'll go with that. When the person says, I'll pray that prayer, I'll sign that card, I'll walk the line, I'll do the thing. We put so much emphasis on that. And I don't know if you've ever met somebody who shows no evidence of God's ongoing activity in their life. But they had a moment. There was one time they believed, one time they did that thing. They signed the card. So they're a Christian now. Maybe that person that you know is you. And maybe that thing that you know is happening here at our church. It's so common. There's a thing, just like there was a thing in Nicodemus's religious system, that Jesus went in to clear out with a whip to get the people's attention. There's a thing in our religious system that Jesus is addressing and that we need him to address. And it's this self-referential, self-centered, my memory, my moment, my experience, my decision, I did a thing, therefore, I'm in. And all this salvation, Christianity, Holy Spirit, God, business. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus because he's struggling with these questions. And Jesus speaks right to the issue. Nicodemus. I'm paraphrasing. Man, that's awesome. You got all this religious clout. Great. Uh, great to believe one time. Who cares? You don't believe now. This is for Believers, ongoing, active, describes and affects who they are, believing ones. That's what this is for. I'm going to guess, and you know what? I hope that some of you, uh, as, uh, you know, I, and I, I'm one of you because I've been working through this this week, some of us, are sitting in our seats thinking, okay, is this me? Am I a believer? Am I ongoing belief? Is my belief active? Is there living water of belief flowing out of my heart? Is this me? Or am I just a person that one time did a thing and believed one time? Which way am I? I hope that you're thinking through this. I hope that we're all thinking through that. I hope our church thinks through that. 
because I think so many of us look around at the state of the church, the state of Christianity, the state of our Christian families and friends, even maybe the state of hope in our time and place. And we see a whole lot of people confessing, oh yeah, I believe one time. We don't show evidence of it in the heart. And like Nicodemus, we're struggling with how does this all fit together? You know that struggle where we wrestle with this in our own heart? What does all this even mean? What am I supposed to do with all this? And when we wrestle with it, looking at our church or our greater church tradition or the church in America or the world or whatever, that struggle of trying to figure out does any of this mean anything? What is the difference? Is any of this even real? Uh, how can it be that there was belief one time but not ongoing belief now? What is all this? That struggle, we have a word for it. Um, I think that word is deconstruction. Deconstruction is that process where we, where a person examines the religious structures in their life, the spiritual landscape of their world, and then they begin to recognize that those structures are empty. And that landscape is a mirage. And so we begin asking questions. Is any of this real? How can we tell the difference between that thing I did one time and what's going on in my life? What about that person I know that swears they're a Christian because they did a thing but I see no evidence? How can any of this fit? What must a person do to have eternal life? What does that even mean? We've begun to call that spiral of asking questions from introspection. That's a kind of deconstruction. Now, it's good for us to note that this process of question asking, of deconstructing, of trying to get down to the core, of questioning and challenging our religious experiences. Guys, we haven't handled that very well culturally. Like we don't welcome the deconstructing person in our church very well. We've talked a lot about that. But we see Jesus welcoming Nicodemus here. So that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Now we saw this a lot in the prologue, and we see it at the end of this chapter. We see it all throughout John's Gospel. John the Gospel writer uses images of light and darkness all through his Gospel in metaphorical ways. Teach us about righteous sin and righteousness, light and darkness, righteousness and sin, good and evil, salvation, hopelessness. He uses these light and dark images. So when he makes the note that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, he's telling us that Nicodemus is coming to Jesus in the midst of his breakdown. Nicodemus is, had been religiously established. Nicodemus had an experience with Jesus that he probably thought should have been real. But at some point, we don't have the specific circumstances recorded in the text. At some point, Jesus refused to entrust himself to the group of believers that wanted to follow him out of that temple. And that broke Nicodemus. That no longer worked with his religious system. And so he comes to Jesus in the breakdown. And he asks the questions. 
I just want to point out that that's really good news for these instructors. You know, very often, when it comes to people who ask hard questions, questions that challenge our traditions, questions that challenge our worldviews, questions that challenge our understanding of our doctrine, and they come and they push, and they just keep asking, or they ask if they're but we think it's the wrong time, or they share about their deconstructing experience. We want to, um, very often we respond by throwing podcasts and articles or whatever at them. Very often we respond by telling something that, you know, we prepare for this moment, we study to argue for the faith or something like that. And we, we try to fix the question asking try to fix the doubt problem. But I'm looking at Jesus here. Did he receive He sits with Nicodemus. And he speaks right to Nicodemus's questions. Awesome. So, here's where all of this comes together. We read this story, we need to ask ourselves, we need to examine ourselves. The Apostle Paul says, examine yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. We need to take this story as a cue. What kind are we believed one time people? Are we believers? Is it active for us? We need to ask that. Each of us needs to consider that in our hearts. But also the story confronts us about how we treat people who ask the hard questions. People who are working through, trying to figure out what does it mean that they believed one time, but they're not feeling it now. Or that their ongoing belief doesn't seem to match the other Christians in our This confronts how we receive each other, how we talk to each other. But I think most of all in this, this passage is a reminder to us that the answer to all of our questions, our religious questions, our doubt questions, our things we're afraid of questions, our things we're confident in questions, our silly questions, the whole thing, the answer to all of it, not found in us being smart, being educated, Religiously credential, having believed one time. Found and going to Jesus from wherever we are, whatever night we're wrapped up in. Just going to him. It strikes me how Nicodemus in this story is kind of annoying. He's relentless, he's persistent. What do you mean? A person can't go into the back of their brother's room. Duh, Nicodemus. Obviously, Jesus is speaking metaphorically. That's what I would have said. But Nicodemus, he's shameless. He just asked the question. How can this be? Jesus answers again. He's persistent. I think John the Gospel writer is actually giving us a picture of what believing looks like. Here in Nicodemus. He's giving us a picture of what it means to be a believer. It doesn't mean that you don't have doubt. Doubt is not the opposite of believing. It 
means that you take your doubts, you take your questions, you take your religious, whatever it is you're carrying around, and you take them to Jesus and you push them into him. We spoke a few weeks ago about how when John says believe in Jesus, he's really saying is believe into Jesus. It's in Nicodemus doing that, pushing into Christ. You know the difference? The main difference is between the I believe one time kind of thing, which leads you to perishing, and the believing one, ongoing, active belief thing, which leads to eternal life. You know what the main difference between those two is? Not the timeline. The fact that the first one was all about you. All about what you thought, the experience that you had, your memory of that time, all about you. The kind of faith that's ongoing, that's believing, a wellspring of life that's all about Jesus because it only comes from going to him over and over and over and over and over and over. He is the object. He is the center. So, people of God, do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus right now? Jesus says that just as Moses lifted up the snake, he must be lifted up. Talking about the cross. So that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Brothers, sisters, and friends, forget about the belief one time. Go to Jesus. Appreciate it.